Thank you for joining us here at Celebration Church, where we celebrate God, celebrate people, and celebrate life. We hope you enjoy today's message. This morning for a few minutes, we do want to speak around the subject of discipleship. And I hope you've been blessed by this series of discipleship. As a church, it's really important to us that we value discipleship. Uh, Discipleship is something that, in my opinion, is basically taking somebody and drawing them closer to God. That's the most basic definition of discipleship for me. It's whether I meet you today for the first time and I say something that encourages you in God, I've been now a part of your discipleship process. Or it could be as in-depth as I meet with you weekly, I mentor you, I teach you the ways of God in a deep way, I speak into your life in a deep way, and by doing so, what happens is it causes you to grow in your walk with God. There's different levels of discipleship. We have to be aware that we, if you're a Christian, you outwork how you were discipled. Do you know that? You are an outworking of how you, when you became a Christian, were taught discipleship. So if you, when you were a Christian, became Uh, sorry, when you were unsafe, became a Christian, and then someone said to you, you need to get into a connect group and get into discipleship in a small group setting, what matters and what happens then is you then value that, and for the rest of your life, you'll probably be looking for a home group type setting for discipleship. If you got saved in a crusade, a Billy Graham crusade, for example, like my parents did, and you weren't plugged into a local church, Often those Christians will end up not really going to a local church, but going to the big crusades, not really uh, submitting to local discipleship because they were saved just in a big meeting without being plugged into local church. Now, if you were saved, like my parents were in a Billy Graham crusade and were plugged in to a small group setting in a local church, that's how they learned to be discipled. What am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is this. You reflect how you were discipled. How I was discipled was that I grew up in church as a pastor's kid and I had people, I had connect leaders who took time to speak into my life. I learned the value of having accountability in my life. I have learned that being a spiritual cowboy, just ping-ping around doing whatever I think is what I want to... There's a higher way, and it's called relationship. So here's the thought. We bear the fruit today from what we sowed yesterday, and we will bear the fruit tomorrow according to what we sowed today. I'm going to unpack this for us. And I want to speak to you about sowing and reaping. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now, just try and focus in today. The room's full, but I need you to really focus into what God wants to say. Because this isn't just a guy with some ideas. The Holy Spirit, we, we, just, we welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you to have your way in this place. We welcome you to come and speak to our hearts. Lord, we pray that this church would be a church that glorifies you, Lord Jesus. Can I hear an amen? We pray that we will be a church that is passionate that is not uh, comfortable in our approach, but Lord is desperate for more of you. And we ask for your presence to come and to be poured out upon this place. 
in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. Recently, Charlie and I uh, have been watching a show um, on Amazon Prime called Clarkson's Farm. And what Clarkson's Farm is, it's, has anyone seen Clarkson's Farm, by the way? A couple of people? Basically, it's Jeremy Clarkson, who's off Top Gear, if you've ever seen Top Gear. He's the one that most people don't like. He's very opinionated. I find him quite entertaining. And basically what he does in this show is he's gone and bought 2,000 acres of farmland in the middle of England. And the whole show is basically him trying to work out how to be a farmer and not knowing what he's doing. And so it's just a, a, a show where he is just making mistake after mistake, trying to learn how to farm this amazing property. But he also has the resource of all his money, and so he can pay people to come in and teach him how to farm properly. So the first thing he does is he goes and he buys a Lamborghini tractor, a huge monster tractor. And the local farmers laugh at him because they say that is the most ridiculous, overly sized tractor for what you need for your farm. And Jeremy Clarkson's like, if I can do it, why not? And literally, it's a Lamborghini branded tractor. It's an awesome tractor. And basically, that summarizes the show. A guy with deep pockets, but with no real information, trying to figure out how to be a farmer. Charlie and I enjoy this. Charlie and I like watching this. Charlie, in, in her heart, deep down, is a bit of a farm girl. She was blessed to grow up on property, 100 plus acres, and there was cows. And in her heart, she would love one day to be on a farm again. And so she sits there, tears in her eyes, going, this is the wide and open space that God's promised us one day. And so we get to dream through this show. And basically, I find the show interesting because I know nothing about farming. But I love the dedication when it comes to how farmers approach their craft. And they, basically, Jeremy Clarkson pays local farmers or, or, or professionals to give him advice and to help him. One week's about how to raise lambs. One week's how to grow wheat. One week is about how to do fencing. One week, and he's trying to learn all these different things while being laughed at by the local farmers, which is quite hilarious because he's so, he doesn't know what's going on. And I sit there watching thinking, the intentionality of a farmer really inspires me. The window that you have with farming, with seasons and with crops is so, so exact that you have to have the soil prepared by a certain date. You have to have the right seed, the quality of seed sorted out. It has to be a high quality. The way, the machinery you have to buy to get seed into the ground, to get the soil prepared, the timing of getting all that in by a certain date, the watering, the lines they have to go on. They can't be lazy with the lines and the way, because if you go like this when you're sowing seed, then when you're trying to harvest it, it will be really bad for the big, um, whatever it's called, combine or whatever it is, it just doesn't work out because you're trying to follow. It's very precise. And the reason why it's precise is because a farmer's livelihood depends on their hope for tomorrow. If that field does not um, produce a crop, their livelihood goes down the drain. Everything depends on the field producing a harvest. 
in this show. They do all the work. They get, they got wheat. I think they're trying to plant and they get it all in just in time. And then they have a once in 30 year storm hit. And for six weeks, it rains and everything gets washed out and they're in all this trouble and they've got all this money sewed into this and the rain comes and the local farmers are like, this is a once in 30 year top event. And that happens in life where you can sow your seed and you can do your best and then you have a once in 30 year event which comes out of nowhere and hits it and hits your situation and hits your field. And those things do happen. But most of the time, we actually live in what we sowed yesterday. Please get this with me. Stay awake. Listen to this. This will change your life. And I've been a Christian my, since four years old and I've seen thousands of Christians in my life. Listen, today you're sitting in the harvest of what you sowed yesterday. Whether that's good or bad, you are enjoying the fruit of what you intentionally sowed yesterday. The great thing about God though, and God speaks about this a lot, we're going to look at a lot of scripture today, is that he talks about farming and sowing a lot. It's kingdom. If you want to have a, a, a crazy awesome harvest tomorrow, you have to be intentional about what you sow today. Again, please stay awake. There's some eyes that are closed. Listen to me. Listen to this. Listen. If you want to have a life that is full and bountiful in the kingdom, you have to be intentional about the sowing, the soil and the seed and the watering today so that you can live a life of blessing tomorrow. Now, this is why I get passionate about this, because I spend half my time counselling people who have neglected to sow into wise things yesterday, and now they're living in the mess of today. But the hope of God is this, that you can start afresh today. Even if your field today is messy, the Lord says, I've got some more seed for you to sow. <laughs> this is good. This is good. Now, you think about this with me. Imagine if I had a field. <laughs> I just got a brand new field. It's a beautiful field. Saved up, got a field. I'm, I'm becoming a farmer. I'll go down to the local watering hole, the local pub, whatever it is, sit with the rest of the farmers, and I say to them, you guys, you should see the field that I bought. My goodness, it is a beautiful field. And you know what they'll say to me? Oh, what have you done to the field? Oh, it's, it's a beautiful field. I don't need to do much. It's, 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 I paid for it. It's all good. Wait, what have you done to the field? Wait, I don't have time to, to, to get the soil ready. I don't have the energy in the busyness of my life to put the seed in the ground. But, but guess what, farmers? Guess what? Next season, you watch my field. God has promised me, there's things that he said, you watch my field. But I'm not going to do anything because I'm too busy. You know what those farmers will do? They will laugh at me. And, and you know what happened? Next season, I'll walk into the field and I'll go, where is the harvest? Because I never took the time to sow kingdom seed into the field God gave me. Let's turn to Luke chapter 8, verse 4. Luke 8, verse 4. 
It says this. It says, it's beyond the screen. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told them this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path and it was trampled on, and, some, and the birds ate it. Verse 6, some fell on the rocky ground, and it came, uh, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil and came and yielded a crop a hundred times what was sown. Go down to verse 11 with me, Luke 8 verse 11. It says, this is the meaning of the parable, Jesus speaking. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And when the devil comes and takes the word from their heart, they don't believe uh, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but have no root. They believe for a while, but in the uh, time of testing, they fall away. Now, how many people do you know who have made a decision for Jesus are stoked? Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm going to join every team. I'm going to beat everything. Three months later, where are they? What's happened is the root hasn't gone down. This is why we have to disciple people, help them get their roots down. Yeah, verse 14, it says, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. How many times does life war life's worries choke the promise of God in your life? Yeah, I'm worried. Or here's the other one, I have to get rich. I have to work 24 hours, 20, you know, a day. I have to, I've got to get a mortgage. I've got to, and, and you've you got all the, and, and it chokes the promise of God, the word of God in your heart. But it says in verse 15, the seed, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and get this, by persevering, produce a crop. Persevering is when you want to give up. It's when you don't want to turn up. It's when you get to Sunday morning and you think, I'd rather sleep in. The Olympics are on. I'm going to stay home. Whatever it might be, it's like you've got to realize that sometimes life can get hard. Keep turning up. And when you keep turning up, that's when you, what? You produce a crop. Who here? In recent times, it's felt like they've been in a bit of a testing. I know I have. Keep turning up. Keep persevering. Keep speaking life. Keep encouraging. Keep being the person who brings joy. Keep being the person who brings the goodness of God. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. I'll tell you that much. This is life this morning. And I want to encourage you in your heart. Keep turning up. Keep speaking life. Keep speaking the presence of God. Why? Because it produces a crop. Don't be like the farmer who has the land, who has the soil, but refuses to take the time to sow in. Remember, the harvest that you're in today is a result from what you sowed yesterday. And what the harvest will be tomorrow is from what you sow in today. So I'm going to speak about some areas in my life that are my fields, if that's okay. I'm going to be a bit vulnerable with you, a bit transparent, so make sure you honour it. 
what are the fields of the holidays that I intentionally think about I need to see a harvest in the future in that field, therefore I'll take time to sow in? Here's a great question. What is our seed? Our seed are things like this. And if you're writing notes, write this down. If you don't write notes, you should write notes. Don't know why you don't, write notes. Time. How many times do you find yourself saying, I don't have time? Well, guess what? If you're breathing, you do have time. The minute you stop breathing, you're out of time. You can use that reason then. Well, you can't because you're not breathing, but you get the point. Time, energy, your giftings, your words that you speak, the words of God, the seed of God, the Bible, your mindset is your seed. The boundaries you place in your life help produce the seed. Now, I love this. In Galatians chapter 6, if you're writing notes, it's on the screen. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. It says this, and I love it when the Lord does this. It's like he, he puts the wording so beautifully and so black and white. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. How cool is that? Why does God even have to say that? You know what I mean? Like, you're God. But he, he says it in the word anyway. Like, don't be deceived, church. And this is to the church this writing. God will not be mocked. Whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. And it goes on and speaks about if you sow into the flesh and death, you're going to receive that. And if you sow into life, you'll receive life. Today, if you're breathing, you have seed God's given you. You have words in your mouth, you have time, you have energy, you have gifts, you have mindset, you have talent, you have things that God has placed. And the, we don't have time today to unpack this, but we will give an account according to what God has given us. The parable of the talents, the parable of the miners, these are all, I've given you this, what have you done with it? And so we have to take this very seriously. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, it says this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each must give what he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that you have all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Wow, what a verse. What a beautiful verse. What a great verse to memorize. Notice, he's, God's heart is that you would abound in every good work. It would not, it's not that you would be sluggish, a sluggish snail. No, that's not you. You are a cheater, you are a leopard, you are someone who runs fast, who is accurate, who goes after what God has. You are an eagle that rises up. You are not a penguin, as cute as penguins can be. And you are not a seagull squawking for hot chips. <laughs> you don't have to work really hard. You don't have to hide that one leg so it looks like I have one leg. 
so you feel sorry for the seagulls, so you go and give them the extra chip. <laughs> you, my friends, are eagles. You saw on the, the updrafts of the Spirit of God. You don't squawk and flap around with feathers going everywhere. You're not a chicken. You're an eagle. You have to wait on the Lord. You have to rest in his presence. You have to, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up on wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. This is the calling of God for the church. But notice in the scripture, it's, this is, um, it's, it's, it's linked to this. Whoever sows sparingly or, or stingily will reap stingily. But those who sow bountifully will reap. And then it says, in God, and God is able to make his grace abound to you. So having all sufficiency in all times, you may abound in all good things. I love the word all, all through that. But it comes down to sowing. It comes down to don't be a stingy person. Don't be a person at the dinner who's going, oh, it's $26.34. Who's got the one cent coins? Do they even exist anymore? No. Be someone who sows. Is this okay this morning? Can I give you a couple more verses? 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10. So just go down a few more verses. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Who wants to see the, their righteousness increase? The harvest of your righteousness. How amazing. It says that, oh, I can't, this, no, we can't unpack. We don't have enough time. He will multiply your seed for sowing. He will multiply the seed in your hand. It's not just his one seed. No, no, he, imagine you, you right now, you open your wallet and you had $5 and you open it again and it was, you know, $55 notes. Multiplication. This is, this is what we're talking about. Increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce what church? Thanksgiving to God. Oh, Holy Spirit, help. Please help me. I need some help. This is so amazing. Church, get this. He multiplies the seed. He multiplies um, the harvest of righteousness so that, get this, and if you're online, get this. It says so that you will be enriched in every way. You'll be generous in every way. And then and that through us, we will produce worship. So when you're sowing seed, when you're discipling people, when you're going out of your way to be intentional, God says, I'm going to multiply the seed. I'm going to increase the harvest of your righteousness. I'm going to make sure that you are enriched in every way and generous in every way. And through this, you will bring glory to the Father. Ooh. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use will be measured back to you. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we just give. And he goes, it's poured back to you. 
It's, look at the wording. It's so beautiful. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Running over, church. It'll be poured into your lap. This is a blessing of God for us. But it comes, notice how it starts. Give, give, give. Oh, the church wants your money. Give. The Bible says it, give. With your words, give. With your time, give. With your energy, give. With your skills, give. And it will be given to you. So we come back to this. Discipleship is giving. Discipleship is one of the most costly things you will ever do. If you really disciple. Discipleship is taking the preciousness of the the battles that you've gone through, the beauty of the battle that you've gone through, the healing that God gave you, taking the preciousness, preciousness of that and passing it on. To the point where Jesus says this, and it's so interesting. He says, don't throw your pearls to pigs, lest they turn on you and maul you. That's my interpretation. But basically, it's what he said. Why? Because not everyone will value the price that you've paid. The challenge of a pastor is that I have to give that to everyone in the room when I preach. But for you, you can be intentional about the soil you sow into. Because there's some things that you have fought for that is so precious between you and the Father that you have to be guarded over who you give that to. That's really, really powerful. Lest that person takes that information, turns on you, and damages you and others with it. So how do you do that, Benaiah? Well, you, Holy Spirit, guide me. Holy Spirit, help me when I disciple. Help me when I speak into people's lives. Help me when I encourage people. Who do you want me to speak into? It's an important thing. Discipleship is a powerful thing. So here are the four fields. I, I think very visually. And so I think about my life like this. And I have four fields in my life. Now these fields overlap. And as I share about my fields, I encourage you to think about your fields. Through this filter, you right now are bearing the fruit, good or bad, from what you sowed yesterday. But you will also bear the fruit tomorrow from what you sow today. So be intentional today. With your time, with your words, with your energy, with your gifting, with your upskilling, with all those things, sow into the areas that you feel the Holy Spirit has for you so that tomorrow you can produce a harvest of righteousness. Now, let me say this. Boundaries are important. Do you know that? Boundaries are what keep you in place, in the right field, and stop the feral pigs coming in and eating your harvest or eating your seed. This past week, Charlie and I, um, Bear's at an age now where he's starting to walk. He waddles around. During worship, he was wandering. I thought it's better for him to wander out there than to walk around here and distract you all. So he was out walking around. 
And so we found a playground because we're at the age now where he loves going down slides and all that type of thing. It's, it's amazing. But you realise that you need playgrounds with fences. And for some reason, most playgrounds are finding don't have fences. So you look away for two seconds and he's wandering off towards a road somewhere. No, no, you've got to stay in the playground. Whole another subject, you know, rubber versus chip bark, all that stuff. All the mums and dads know what I'm talking about. Gee... The thing is, is that we found one. We found an amazing park. It's not local. And we're like, this park is incredible. Had different slides, different... And it had a big fence and a big gate. We can just put him in there and he can do whatever he wants. We know that if a dog runs past and attacks, is attacking someone, tries to attack our kid, there is a fence. We also know that if we look away for a few minutes, a few minutes, a few seconds... <laughs> The worst he's going to do is go on the fence and try and escape. That's okay. It's a boundary that keeps him safe. And you've got to realize that in your life and in my life, we actually have to be really good at setting boundaries. And so when I speak about these fields that I have in my world, there's always boundaries around those fields. So here's the first one. My, my first field that I make sure that I sow into is the field of my family. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 25, it says this. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself to her. For me, I am very unapologetic in saying that my first ministry is to my family. And I grew up in a culture watching pastors all around in the 90s, 80s and 90s, where if you're a pastor... Church was your first ministry. And so you had kids every night of the week out at different meetings. Always, you know, it was just a very high cost for pastors' kids and pastors' families because the expectation of the church was that they were first and then the kids were second. I don't know if you remember that or if you've seen that. If you're a pastor or used to be in ministry here, you would know what I'm talking about. For me, I've come to a realisation according to this verse that I need to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And in that, my first ministry is to my wife and my son. And guess what? You get the overflow. Because they are my ministry. And so for us, we say no, we, we, we say no to certain things. Even this morning, Charlie was here. She was connecting people before the service. But today, my son's Nap time is 11 o'clock because he woke up at a certain time, so she has gone to put him to bed. He's at that age where that's what's needed. We're unapologetic about that because we want to make sure that our family is healthy. I want to make sure that my wife is protected as a pastor's wife. Pastor's wives are often neglected. I want to make sure she's okay. I want to make sure she's looked after. And by doing so, I believe it's a godly thing that hopefully we can raise a family that's healthy, that's still in ministry, but is still healthy. But we have to have boundaries. You will rarely see me on a Saturday, unless it's a working bee or unless, you know, it's, it's a you know, very close person or family member. We won't even do social things on Saturdays. It's our family day. Unapologetically, it's family breakfast. Yesterday it was 
lay in the backyard, us three watching the clouds, enjoying the sun, creating memories together because we need to do that as a family. It's me being a dad that's not on my phone all day at home, but when my son's around, I'm present for my son. Now, do I fail in this? Yes. Am I perfect? No. But my intention is that every time I pick my son up, every time I go for a walk out and give him time, I'm sowing into him. I'm giving him love, time, energy, attention. I'm speaking the seed of God that by the grace of God, one day he'll grow up to discover who God is himself. That I would still buy my wife flowers sometimes, not just because it's her birthday, but because. You know what I mean? That she'll get home and there'll be a nice meal waiting with you know, a nice drink or something and a nice note. Whatever it might be, it's, it's just, now they sound like, oh yeah, that's nice, but we forget. And if you've been married for longer than three years, you probably forget sometimes too. So it's just trying to make sure, and I had someone in my life who discipled me back when I was at Bible college, who was a pastor, who just kept telling me this, my number one ministry is my family. And he just kept drilling it into me, my number one ministry is my family. And he would preach it all the time, and I captured it. And so that's my field. So the harvest I want to see for my family today when it comes to us, I need to sow into for tomorrow. Now I've got a young family, so I'm still learning this, but I'm doing my best to be intentional. So that's the first field. Some of these fields do overlap. The the second thing is this. Oh, by the way, with that first field, I make time to make sure I'm upskilling in my abilities. What does that mean, church? It means that I take time to speak to people who have great families. Yeah. <laughs> there are people who I speak to, you know, who, I, who have raised, especially you know, when Bear was a newborn baby and we had no idea what we're doing on the phone. How do you do this? Can we have wisdom? What would you say? How do you raise a good family? How do you, what have you learned by you know, raising a bunch of kids and your grandkids now? And we lean into people because I realize that I don't know all that much. What am I doing, church? I'm getting discipled. Now, that sounds like normal for some of us, but for some of us, that sounds weird because we feel like we have to do it on our own. I won't ask you to put your hand up, but maybe you're the one that felt like you had to do it on your own. Do it on your own with a James Dobson book, maybe. You know what I mean? I've got to work it out. But the spirit of the church isn't that. The spirit of family is lean into people. Have conversations. If you notice somebody in church and you respect that they do family, have a conversation. Ask questions. Humble your heart. You don't need to work it out on your own. Can I hear an amen? Or work it out on your own and have a bunch of headaches. It's just a lot more painful, that's all. Learn from other people's mistakes. The second thing is this. I only have four fields. The second one is this. The field of discipleship. Now, according to Matthew 28... Verse 19, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where I've come to with discipleship, church. A Christian who does not take time to disciple another person is a Christian with a cracked foundation. Get that into you. I don't understand how we can live in obedience to the Great Commission and not make disciples. 
Therefore, we must be passionate about keeping each other accountable with making disciples. I love you enough, church, to tell you the truth. Do not let your discipleship stop with you. Do not let what God teaches you stop with you. Find someone to pass it on to. Find someone, start a connect group. Find a, someone for coffee and say, and teach them. There's plenty of young people here. Encourage them. Do what you can. Because I don't want you going to the grave, standing before your father and him saying, who did you disciple? Uh, I went to church. Who did you disciple? You know, one of my greatest hopes is that if I was to pass away today, that there'll be a line of people in my life who would say, he discipled me. He's spoken to my life. Someone texted me last night. They said, thank you. I just want to say thank you for speaking the truth in love to me. Who does that for you, church? Who do you let do that for you? Who do you let speak truth to you even when you don't like it? I tell you what, I have a bunch of people in my life who do that for me and it helps me grow. And why is it that I feel like sometimes this is hard to preach? This is the church. You know what I mean? This is the greatest commission, the great commission. Disciples, everyone listen up. Here's the last thing I'm going to say to you before I go back to heaven. Listen. Go and make disciples. Listen. Baptizing them. When was the last time you and I baptized someone? Oh, this is a hard teaching. It's just the Bible. It's, it's just, let's, let's stop just reading the bits we like and ignoring the bits that are too hard. Yeah? Is this too hard for us? No, it's not. We are graced by the Holy Spirit to be a church where you, you, everyone in this room can disciple somebody else. Do not be a selfish Christian. You know what? If I wasn't a pastor, I would still have people I meet with a disciple. It's part of the field that I believe God called us to have. I believe it's called obedience. <laughs> I believe it's what everyone's called to do. I believe that it's important to get, take someone out for coffee and to listen to them and to speak God's truth and to speak the word of God and to speak encouragement. But I don't have time, Benaya. Yes, you do. You're breathing. You have time. Make time for the field of discipleship. Can I hear an amen? Oh, you know some churches won't preach like this. You just have, you have your ears tickled every Sunday. The pastor will come along and go, here's a bit of a feather duster. Let me tickle your ears. Is it okay? Did I offend you? I'm sorry if I... Let me tickle your ears again. Life is short. Let's be a church that goes for it. And let's be thankful that we have pastors who speak truth, even when it feels a little bit uncomfortable. I love that. I love that we have Pastor Joel, Pastor that Pastor Paul spoke last week. We have great preachers. We have great people who don't hold back. They just go for it. The third one is this. It's a bit of an unusual one, this one, for some, but for me it's important. It's the field of finance. And it says this in Proverbs 13, 22. It says, A good person leaves an inheritance 
for their children's children. A good person will leave an inheritance for their children's children. I've just, I've just, I've realized in my life that I need to get better with my finance. And I've realized that, I li- that we live in a society that is one of the most debt-ridden societies in the history of our nation. Credit card debt, mortgage debt, personal debt. And what debt does is it enslaves people. How crazy is that? And it means that we can't be all that God's called us to be with the seed we have because we're bound by debt. And so I've just decided that there's a field in my life and I see it, there's family, there's discipleship and ministry, which is just that slash ministry, and then it's finance. And so what I do is I go, okay, Lord, I need to get smarter with my finance. I can see the type of... Um, the type of life I want to give my son. I can see that in five years, I have vision for that. I believe God's given me a picture of that. But I know that I'm not smart enough naturally to achieve that. Otherwise, I become that farmer saying, look at the field. I can't wait for that to harvest and not do anything about sowing today. So what do I do? I, I make sure I podcast. I listen to finance podcasts. I read books. And I find people who are smarter than me with their money. I literally do, and I call them. And I don't have heaps of time, so often I call them on the way home from the office. I've got 20 minutes, let's chat. And we chat a bit, and it's just my little way of just leaning into someone smarter than me. And I have this conviction in my heart that stewardship is a really important thing. And you know the parable of the miners is actually about finance? This is a whole other subject, but it's for those who are interested... It's a, parable, it's a parable about finance. And it says that the person who got the, the, the money and they buried it was wicked. They didn't even spend it. And the master says, well, you could have at least given it to the bank to earn interest, and that would have been just the minimum. And so he's talking about earning interest on finance as the minimum buy-in of, of righteousness. Think about our society. Debt. It's not even burying it. It's going into a hole because we need that new shiny thing. The marketing is so good. I need that house that's out of my budget. And all of a sudden we're in this hole of debt and that minor parable becomes very scary. I I believe the church is called to be full of people who are good with finance because they're good stewards of what God gives them. Now, the reason why I talk about it in church, and hey, in church it gets awkward with money sometimes, but this is why, because all of us are affected by money. All of us. And most of us will give our life going to a job to earn money. You will give your life to earn this commodity. Therefore, it's probably good that we talk about it if it affects everybody from a kingdom perspective. What do you think about that? I think that's, it's very important for us to do that. Okay, so I say all that to say this. Okay, for me and my family, I need to be smarter. So I'll listen to a podcast on investing. I'll read a book about returns and interest and all this boring stuff for some because I want to make sure that the field in years to come is a field that isn't one of poverty but is one of blessing. 
Does that make sense? So if right now, if you're not good with your finance, it's okay, or if you're in a financial mess, it's just because yesterday you made some bad calls. Hey, you can start selling good seed today. How do you do it? Find someone smarter than you. <laughs> Ask them questions. Go see a financial advisor if you have to. Whatever you've got to do. Like just, but just do what you can to start to upskill yourself. But, but I don't have much money. Ten bucks a week put aside is better than nothing. I want to make sure that our future generations are looked after. You know, and with, our, with our, our miracle offering, the reason why we do it is we set up our future generations. I, I want to be the, the good guy that leaves an inheritance for our kids' kids. And that playground over there, I'm just, I get so pumped with that. I'm like, man, Bear gets to, he's the next generation. And we've done that before he was even born. There was still a twinkle in, my, in his daddy's eye back then. And we, st- I think he was anyway. Maybe he was, I don't know, it doesn't matter. All right. Hey, last one is this, and thank you for your time this morning, but the last one is this. The fourth field for me is personal health. Okay, and it says in 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Or another translation says that your soul would prosper. Now, this is one area of my life I haven't been very good in and I'm getting better at. And so I'll, I'll say that openly. And I'm learning the, the, the importance of looking after my soul, looking after my, myself. Now, understand this and just, just focus in as we finish. The Bible says that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Loving yourself, therefore, is extremely important. Now, this is what I see everywhere. Christians are so giving that they don't know how to look after themselves. And if you can love your neighbor as yourself, then guess what? You have to love yourself. This, this past four and a half, five months for Charlie and I has been personally pretty, pretty busy. I've had a bit going on. And so I said to Charlotte last week, I said, let's t- I'll take a couple of annual leave days and let's just go down the coast. And so we went down the coast, we visited my parents who were down the coast. And it was just like, we could just breathe. Like our soul and we had bear and, and good to spend time with his grandparents, create memories. And I was like, oh, that is good. It was a moment for our personal health. It was a moment of boundaries. My phone went off. People texted me. I didn't write back. It was like, this is our moment. I have not been good at this in the past and I have not had good examples in my life of this. But I have learned that taking a Sabbath is godly. Taking time for yourself, for your marriage, for your family is godly. Taking time to rest is godly and supernatural. If the Father himself took a day to rest, then who knows that you need to take a day to rest. I encourage you and I to do things that life your soul. I got my motorbike here today. I rode my motorbike in and the rains are nearly coming. And as I ride that bike, yesterday I was riding it and I was like, you, 
This is great. Come on, come on, help a little bit open. The wind's hit me in the face. Hopefully no bugs hit me in the face either. But I'm just like, this is a happy place for me. It's my soul being healthy. But what will attack your personal field of health are boundaries. Not saying no to things, always being there for others beyond your boundary. It's good to be there for others. It's good to disciple. It's good to, but you have to take time for your soul. Taking 10 p.m. phone calls from your connect group, unless it is a life and death situation, is not going to help your soul. Being on your text machine, your phone, or your messenger on Facebook all the time, your phone is there to cause you not to rest. I hope you realize that. Mostly, mostly it's just consistent information, consist, consistent information. Probably speaking to the more the younger generation here with that, but maybe not. Make sure that you stop. Make sure that you rest. Make sure that, because what will happen is this. You'll say yes to everything in church, yes to all the rosters at home, yes to all the kids all the time, all your friends, all the people who are always in need. Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you. That's what's always going to be that. And then one day you'll wake up and you'll fall apart. And you'll contact the church office and say, I can't do anything in church anymore. You'll say to your spouse, I need to take a break. You'll say that, you know, your job, whatever it is. And you'll find yourself like a teddy bear over a long period of time falling apart because you didn't have boundaries in place. You need to have your boundaries in place. How's your Sabbath? What do you do to enjoy your life? Do you take time to build friendships? Do you take time to go out for coffee? Do you take time to watch the Olympics with some nice food or a movie? Not feel guilty? When was the last time you took a holiday? When was the last time you took some time just to disappear down the coast? It might just save your marriage down the track. It might just save your kids down the track. It might just save your soul from falling apart. So it's important. So for me, just in conclusion, my family, my first ministry, so I'll sow in, I'll sow in, I'll sow in intentionally. My ministry, my discipleship, I'll disciple, I'll preach, I'll give my best, I'll give myself pour out myself to people but there's boundaries number three my finance I want to be a good steward I want to learn how to look after what God's given me well be generous but also be wise and number four my personal soul health loving you because I've learned to love myself now in conclusion you work out your fields they might be different to mine if you're married here, sit down with your spouse. Talk about what are the fields that are important. What is that field? What, what's the harvest we want to see tomorrow? What boundaries do we have to readjust? Because sometimes you have to readjust. 
And sometimes as windstorm comes, you know, like I said it at the start, sometimes you can do all that you can do. And a once in 30 year storm will still come and mess up all your plans. Yeah, that happens. But 90% of the time, it doesn't. It's more we reap what we sow. But let's be like the farmers who are very intentional about how and what and when we sow. I pray that wisdom helps you this morning. And I pray you think about your tomorrow. Let me say one more thing. The enemy's plan is always the same. It's to get you, if you see it in the footy, you're running towards, someone's running and they get them and it's illegal. But sometimes people get spear tackled into the ground and they lay on the ground and you think, I hope they're okay. The enemy's plan is always the same, church. It's you're running the race God has for you and then out of nowhere, someone key hits you. And that thing is life. It's a storm, it's a situation, it's a circumstance. And you're seeing stars. You're spinning. And as you start to get your, get your bearings, something else hits you. Anyone ever had that season? Bang, something else. Bang, something else. Bang, another report. Something else goes wrong. And you live your life from chaos, tragedy to tragedy, chaos to chaos, miracle needed to miracle needed. And sometimes you have those seasons, but sometimes you haven't been sowing the right seeds. The enemy's plan is always the same. God give us vision for tomorrow. Your vision, your calling, where you're leading us. And by doing so, we'll be a church where our harvest is multiplied of righteousness. The seed is multiplied in Jesus' name. Why don't we stand to our feet as we finish? you to know that Charlie and I we carry you in our hearts some pastors might not but we do when you're away on a Sunday for more than two weeks you know the guys who ask about you this guy and, and the staff here will tell you have you seen such and such I wonder how they're going I wonder how this person are they okay I wonder if you ever find that you know, if something happens, if someone's got some major issue in the church going on and they need support, let us know. We'll send them a bunch of flowers. You know, as a church, every new mum gets a bunch of flowers from our church and gets a book about raising godly kids. It's from our church. It's a gift. It's from you. It's from your Celebration Church family. We do this because we want to make sure that we look after our church community. You're not just a number. You're not just a face in a crowd. Charlie and I, we, we pray for you. We think about you. And I just want you to feel that love this morning. I want you to feel that you have pastors who genuinely care. And I will often speak things that I feel uncomfortable saying, but I know it's truth in love. Because I want to see you, remember the, the heart of us? Our heart is to see the river of God from your innermost being flourish. That's it. 
you're here visiting, I want you to go home and I want to see that river flow from you. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more about our church, please go to celebrationchurch.com.au.